Welcome to Kindred Media, a nonprofit initiative of Kindred World. Kindred has gathered thought leaders, researchers, and activists exploring the new story of the human family for over 15 years. Visit our website for our new story features, interviews, podcasts, and video collections at www.kindredmedia.org. Welcome to Kindred. This is Lisa Reagan, and today I'm talking with Pam Leo. Pam is the author of the beloved and classic book, Connection Parenting, and she is now the founder of the Book Fairy Pantry Project, a sister nonprofit of the initiative and initiative of uh, Kindred World. And why is Kindred World supporting uh, the Book Fairy Pantry Project? You're gonna find that out in just a moment. We have lots to say about bonding and literacy and the need for language to tell the new story. Um, but first, uh, we're going to start talking to Pam about how the pandemic has impacted at-risk families and their access to books. So welcome, Pam. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. You're in Maine. I'll just I am. Everyone. And, <laughs> and um, there's so much uh, uh, to catch up on with you. We haven't had a good catch-up call in a while. So maybe... Um, you could just start to tell us a little bit about what you've seen is happening there in Maine with um, families having access to books and why is this a problem? Okay, uh, yeah, it, I mean, when, it, when everything first hit, I thought, oh no, you know, what are we gonna do? Because now they need Book Fairy Pantry Project more than ever, but how am I gonna get books to still give them? And you know, how can this work? And just as soon as I found out, which was very rapidly, because I looked right into it, that it wouldn't live on books more than 24 hours, I was like, okay, we're back in business. But we lost all our donation stations because most of them were doctor's offices and they were closed. And even once they reopened, they did not want used books coming through their doors. So I, I just made this plan where I put it out on on Facebook that if people had books to donate, if they would put them in paper bags that they could tape or staple shut and put the date they were last touched on the bag to protect me and my volunteers that I would meet them. So I, I, I started meeting them at grocery store parking lots because it was when you know people weren't supposed to be going out unless it was you know necessary things, you know, food or pharmacy. So I, if they were going to go to the grocery store anyway, and then I could go to the grocery store anyway, and I could get the books at the same time. So that's how we got started. And um, one of the local schools, I was talking to them. I said, you know, this is more important than ever. We have families who do not own books. There are no books in their houses. And now they don't have their school libraries with availability for books because the children are home. They, the public libraries are closed. There is no way for them to get books unless we somehow. So my first request was, could we use, they had a, a lunch mobile, book mobile kind of combined vehicle. I said, could we you know, do that? And they said, well, they're gonna be using that to deliver meals. So they said, what about we'll do free book Wednesday? And so we all just started bringing books there that, you know, had been, had their time in quarantine. 
and they had people packaging them up by grade level. So when people came through to get their food, they would say, did your family need books and what are the ages? And they had runners who would go back and grab a bag of first grade books or seventh grade books. This also changed the face of what Book Fairy does because for the since it began, it was a birth age five focus. And when COVID hit and all the older children were home, they needed books as well. So we opened up what we accepted for donations. We used to accept, you know, only up through school age to all ages that we birth to 18, that we would accept all those levels of books, which um, made it amazing so that we were able to supply, you know, to all age children. But that still felt like that was just one town. So I had this amazing thing happen where a woman that I worked with at one of the schools, her son was an Eagle Scout and needed to do a community service project for his Eagle Scout badge. And I said, I know what he could do. He could build a little free library for us and we could put it in the you know neighborhoods that are under-resourced so that they would have books 24 seven, they would have access to books. So he actually built us two of them we'll and they pictures, were amazing. I uh, want this article online. Well, we have pictures of those. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So that's that's been wonderful. And so I'm gonna try to get more people. Um, so what I really wanna do is to get the Eagle Scouts across the country in every community uh, to, take it on as like you know a, tr a whole troop he did it as for his individual badge but there's no reason troops couldn't take it on like you know in every community that there is an eagle scout troop they could take that on that they would build at least one you know for an under-resourced neighborhood that would be such a, it's like a no-brainer easy way for them to fulfill their commitment for community service and to do such a community service. I see these little free libraries, you know, that have been, you know, around for some time, but that these new ones that get built specifically because of COVID as like the literacy equivalent to the victory gardens, you know, and yeah. this is, I love that if you have a, a library in a garden, you have everything you need. I think it's by Cicero. And one of the uh, little free libraries that we have is in a community garden in that neighborhood. So that is like the best of all worlds that there's both. And uh, you know, that could be happening in every community in this country, every community, there's no reason that can't happen. And it would open up access to children and families, you know, because their parents can get books. They, there's all, it's not just children's books in the little free libraries. So back to back with that, was that because families, before we had these libraries built, I thought, you know, we need, to, families need to have libraries. There need to not be so many homes that don't have more than a book or two. And so I inspired by the book, uh, Freedom Libraries, which was about when black people weren't allowed to use the libraries and they created their own libraries. And I call these libraries little freedom libraries, as in freedom from illiteracy. So those are the ones that I make up. You know, they fill, the parents fill out a book sponsor request. And 
initially we had sponsors who were stepping up and I would give them, you know, this has a family of two children, a girl and a boy in their ages, and they love this. And the sponsors would do that. But um, mostly I, I'm the one doing it now. So when the sponsor slips come in, I, you know, I have books that I have that I set aside specifically to do these libraries with. And so the family will get um, 20 books. There's a statistic that says when families have at least 20 books in their home, then children stay in school longer. I mean, all these, you know, improvements in literacy. So I try to do 20 book family libraries. The, the little freedom libraries, they get 13 books because the national statistic is on average, middle income children own 13 books per child in the family, which we all know is incredibly low, but it's incredibly low because it's averaged with the 10 million children who own none. So that drops it way down. But at least if they have 13 in their personal library, that that changes everything. You know, they grow up owning books. There is a dignity to owning books. Yeah. And it, it, it just changes their whole picture of themselves. And the, the book sponsor of the Little Freedom Libraries actually came about, I almost forgot about this, because a little boy that I was his reading partner last year when he was in first grade he's now in second grade he asked his teacher for some chapter books because he could now read chapter books and he didn't own any and so the teacher got in touch with the school social worker who got in touch with me and said can we help this child out and I said yes of course and can you tell me more about the child so that I can you know design his library specific to him to his interests and she started describing this child and it sounded incredibly familiar. So I wrote back and said, is this the child that I was his reading partner last year? And it turned out that it was. And I mean, on the one hand, I was so proud that he was reading that well that he needed chapter books, but I was so horrified to think we teach children to read and then we don't provide anything for them to read. So I said, absolutely, I'll put together some books for him. In fact, I'm going to make sure this child has books for the rest of his childhood. I will be his. And I just made up the term book sponsor. And then the social worker said to me, well, would you want to do it for his siblings as well? And I said, of course. And I said, how many are there? And she said, six. They gave me all their, you know, their ages, their gender, things that they liked. And, you know, it just, the dad, the day that I delivered, I got to, usually I don't, but I did get to deliver that one myself. And the dad was just so happy that they were going to have books in their home. It, it really, it was one of those rare moments. Like I said, I don't usually get to be the one who delivers the libraries. It's usually I give it to the social worker or the teacher or whoever, but that particular one I did, and uh, they'll be due pretty soon for, for additions to their library, but it was just really a wonderful thing. And so I'm like, all right, if I can be a sponsor for one child, why can't all these other people be sponsors for children? And so a lot of people did come forward to do that. Um, but it seemed like COVID got the less people were, you know, wanting to be out and shopping for books or, you know, doing that. So it, it kind of faded into me doing it. 
So uh, just to, I, I want to keep track of all, all of the ways, which are a number here that you've just shown it's possible to still get books into the hands of children. And these little freedom libraries, for example, uh, if uh, no one's ever seen what one of those looks like, it looks like a, uh, looks like a really big birdhouse <laughs> standing oh. on a big post in a, and it, they're usually installed in, I think the two that you did were installed in parks and you had even ceremonies around them. We did have a dedication. So I need to do a clarification. Okay. And I, I knew that it would be confusing when I did it, but I still did it. <laughs> so little, little free libraries, just the word free, are the okay. wooden birdhouse-like structures okay. that have been around for a long time. And what I noticed is they are seriously usually in more affluent neighborhoods where people have the resource to build one and keep it stocked, you rarely see them in under-resourced neighborhoods. And before I was willing to even put any into these two under-resourced neighborhoods, I wanted the children to already have books so they had books to swap out with this little free library that was coming. So during the free lunch, um, this summer when children would go to the free lunch programs, we had request forms there for them to take home for their parents to fill out, requesting that they get a little freedom library of their own, a personal library. So if you think of personal freedom, you'll know that the freedom libraries are the personal ones that are in a bag that go to their home. And the free libraries are the little buildings that are out there. So, um, yeah, and the two that we put in uh, so far, we have a third one slated to come soon. Uh, um, one of them is in the community garden in the under-resourced neighborhood. So it's, it's just this beautiful combination of resource. And, um, you know, people are just excited that they, they have a library in their neighborhood. And they- Who who's, who's gonna be stocking that? library do you uh, have somebody it, who, who goes in and makes sure it has libraries in it i yep, mean a book in it? yeah i do i i um keep those supplied so there is a neighborhood policing um office in both of those neighborhoods so what i can do is put together a variety of age level books and i bring it to the community policing office so they have them there. And I mean, it's within, you know, a few steps from their office where the libraries are located. So at any time they can peek out and say, oh, I should put some more books out there. But it's also in a way a self-filling library because people don't just take books, they give books. So they'll come and, you know, swap one out of theirs, but they had to have books first. So that's what kind of inspired the little freedom library so that they would start out with books because if we had put this little library in a neighborhood with 300 children who all did not have books it would have been crazy you know the competition for the books so this way by we sort of like um what do you call you know like front loaded it <laughs> with yeah. books in neighborhood before the library went in so that even though we stocked it when we you know, when we installed it, the people who were going to be using it weren't, were no longer homes without any books at all because of what we had done over the summer. So, um, but, you know, that could also be accomplished with the food pantries, 
I mean, there are just so many ways. And a lot of the food pantries, um, you know, some of them are in really small spaces and they declined to house the books and have them there for families. But most of many of them are in churches, you know, places that do have abundant space and they can. So what I try to do is to set up a partnership between the local elementary school, the library and the food pantry so that the local elementary schools can do a book drive. Those books will then go to the food pantry. Then if the library will be an ongoing donation station where they just have a box in their lobby and when people come to get their library books or drop them off, they can donate books to that. And either someone from the library is willing to drop that book box off at the food pantry or a volunteer from the food pantry is willing to swing by the library, you know, once a week or something and pick up the donations. So if you have, it's really community supported literacy yeah. and it's not a big burden on any one person. You know, it, it, the work can be so divided up that one person, their whole way of volunteering is they pick up that box and take it to the food pantry that's it that's the whole commitment you know and that the libraries are willing to have a box there and be a donation station that's how it works best and also too when the, i mean i know most libraries have book sales and they will often donate the books that are left over at the end of the sale we often are given books that were left over from book sales so there's lots of ways for everyone to contribute something little to do something really big. So I don't, uh, let's go back to the need uh, because the need is extraordinary. And I know that we're uh, isolated now more than ever, but before mm -hmm. that, uh, because of classism in our, in our country and uh, racism and lots of other things that kept us uh, away from each other and we didn't see into the to some of the at-risk communities and didn't hear their issues and problems. Uh, I was shocked when I started reading uh, statistics uh, as we were putting together the Book Fairy Pantry <laughs> project website actually. <laughs> Not only illiteracy in this country but the lack of books uh, children have access to and own. Can you tell us about the need? Oh, the, the need is huge. It, it's so big. Um, I mean, when families don't have money for food, they certainly don't have money for books. So, I mean, we know that the earlier we can get books into the families, the better. So that was what made me go in the direction of WIC. So I just went to the local WIC office and said, if I can supply you with books, they, you know, they won't be brand new, but they'll be very gently used. Would your caseworkers give them out when children when they come in for their visits? And they said they would. And initially when we started, I said, I don't know if I'll have enough for every child to get a book at every visit, but at the very least, can we make sure every new baby enrolled gets a book? And that's where we started. So, you know, as a way of getting books into the home really early. And then also with early Head Start and Head Start, um, the early head start is a home visitor program. So I have made friends with all of the home visitors in Head Start and I supply them with books because they're not being able to do visits right now, but they can drop things off. And so they're, I'm supplying them with books to drop off to the families so that they will have books. And I mean, even in the elementary school for the past couple of years, we have done um, free book fairs 
because, you know, I know they have the book fairs at school and children buy books and, but not every child has money to buy books at the book fair. So this way, there were four, the one, the school that we sponsored, uh, there were 400 students. So we brought a thousand books there and every child got to pick two books and they came class by class. The reason I wanted a thousand was I didn't want anyone to get the last books left. Uh, I wanted them to still have choices. So they came down class by class and every child picked out two books and we did it in June. So they would have books over the summer, their own books that they owned. So, it, I mean, it, the need is, is really everywhere. There should not be any children who do not have books, but there are, the statistics are staggering. The, the last time I looked at them, it was that two thirds of the 15.5 million children living in poverty in this country do not own even one book. That was actually what, that statistic was what made me start this project because that, you know, it's just unacceptable to me when there's so many books out there to be had. So that's, you know, when I thought of, okay, that's 10 million children. That's 10 million children going to bed every night without a bedtime story. That's a bonding that's not happening. That's not ongoing. You can't read a bedtime story if you don't have a bedtime story to read. And so, you know, I just thought I can't do anything about poverty as an individual citizen, but I know I can do something about getting books into children's homes so that they are learning to read and they're bonding with their parents around these, you know, books. And it's, it's just happening. People want it to happen. And, it, you know, now, I mean, we're coming up on five years in April. Um well, that I thought of it, probably five years in next fall that we everything was really up and running. But um, I mean, it's a thing in Maine now, Book Fairy Pantry Project. It, and, and it's not just, you know, it's in Australia. It's because of Facebook. It's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's spread in many other states now. It is, uh, Pam. And, you know, I should say bookfairypantryproject.org is where you can go and find information about uh, starting your own. Um, the, the, the project itself is a nonprofit, but you, this is just, we're just going to give you the materials. Pam just shows you the how-to and you can follow her on her Facebook page and talk to her personally about how to pick it up and get it going. Uh, in your community. And as she said, it is a community supported literacy program. Um, uh, but I, so in five years, this has grown, uh, I, we lost track how many people around the world <laughs> in the US uh, started picking up the program and saying thanks and, and running with it. But if you Google uh, Book Fairy Pantry Project, um, you, you'll see them. <laughs> They're out there, which is great. Um, it's really great. But the, so the need I, and closing this gap between um, and getting books into the hands of children, I'm so amazed and marveled at your creativity and dedication and figuring this out. Um, I don't know if, you know, the, if a top-down edict would have helped. You really have to be on the ground, know people. This is a, you know, in-person uh, relational type of activism. It totally is. It, it totally is. And one of the things that I love so much, and I have it on my stickers that, um, you know, it's books for children from children, you know, that children are having the opportunity to make a difference by donating their books to other children. 
you know, is that is to me so special that that it can be that way. And that they, you know, and I always tell parents, make sure that you go through your books with your children so you don't ever have them say, you gave away what book, mom? That was my favorite, you know, or anything like that. And so they, they are really involved in it. And you know, do the book drives at school and, you know, they're donating their books. So it's, it can be a whole family uh, way of volunteering in the community. Well, let me connect the book fairy and the connection parenting, because I uh, can see the statistics on, especially in at-risk families, but probably in most, uh, there's, a, there, there's a real issue around parents and the way they communicate with children, but especially in at-risk families where the words, th these are studies that have been done, words that are spoken are usually things like, you know, put on your shoes, time to go, get in the car, just these short phrases. And what mm -hmm. the neurologist who studied this uh, phenomenon found was uh, in families where you have more resources and more privilege, you're speaking in complete sentences, you have time, the stress level of, of poverty and lack of resources isn't there. So the communication is deeper and richer and greater. And if the a developing brain of a child doesn't have, I think it's 30 million, maybe 45 million words before a certain age that it hears and can interact with and develop these uh, neural nets, they, they may not get developed until later on. Mm -hmm. So this piece of um, connection parenting, it, it seems like this, uh, the book fairy and, and being a champion for family literacy is still connection parenting. Oh, totally. It totally is. In fact, I was talking about that this morning when I did a Zoom class with moms who are in recovery about how to use books as a way to be connected with their children. And at the same time, that addresses the whole language thing, because, you know, we're going to, when you read a book, it's different language than our spoken language, completely different. I think we use maybe 5,000 words a day, you know, over and over. And books, I mean, the number is like astronomically higher. I don't remember what it is now. So if there are books in the home, it accomplishes those two things. There's the connection that happens when the parent spends the time with the child reading. And I can always tell when I do a free books event and children come by my table, which children have been read to and which have not. You know, there will be the child who says, look, dad, it's good night moon. You know, here's a child clearly who's been read to. There are other children, mm -hmm. even though the books are free, they just walk right by and don't take a free book because it, there's no magic in books for them. It doesn't interest them. And so when I figured that piece out, I was like, okay. So I actually am thinking of adding to my title. I know people said, oh, so you're a literacy advocate. And I said, no, I'm really a literacy activist. <laughs> and, and <because laughs> That's right. I'm out there doing things, but I'm going to add to that now, literacy artist, because oh. I've started creating literacy kits and bedtime comfort kits so the bedtime comfort kits, say you have dinosaur print pajamas in the bag, that comfort kit will also be probably a dinosaur stuffy or a vinyl, you know, dinosaur toy and a book about dinosaurs because the toy is the hook that creates the interest in the book. Now there is magic because like, oh, look, there's more dinosaurs inside the book. I have a dinosaur in my hand. There's dinosaurs on my pajamas. 
And now, you know, what we have done is set that parent up for a bedtime ritual. You know, we put a toothbrush in it so they can be like, brush your teeth, put on your dinosaur pajamas, and we're, you know, hold your dinosaur stuffy while I read you this book about dinosaurs. So from birth to five, the kits are really for the parents. I mean, the kids love them, but the parents love them even more. The kits we do for sizes, you know, six on up, probably, they really are for the children, like they're really into it. But the parents so appreciate having that gift of a bedtime comfort kit. One of the places we give them is um, for the foster parents, when a new child is coming into care, they get one of these bedtime comfort kits. So they've got, you know, because sometimes they come with only the clothing on their back or a few things in a trash bag. So, I mean, there's great projects that get backpacks to foster children, but these, so that they've got, you know, they have a story for that night. They have new, not brand new necessarily, but new pajamas for that night. And, you know, a new toothbrush and a comfort, you know, some kind of comfort, lovey, stuffy thing. And what a difference that can make, you know, on such a scary night that they're away from their usual situation. And even though the, it may be a safer situation, it's still an unknown. And so I love making them for, for, um, for the compassion closet, which is who, where, they get, where the foster parents get them from when they know they have a child coming into care. So, but we give them out to children in Head Start. And what I most recently learned, um, there's a woman who works in the community where one of the libraries went in and she stopped by and I was working on them. And she said, you know what? These are also so great for the parents who don't speak English yet because they can visually see, you know, what the book is about because they've got the toy, they've got the pajamas. And so even if they can't read the book to the child, they know what it's about and, you know, they can talk about the pictures. And, and I always, I am a very big fan of wordless books especially for the immigrant families who haven't learned English yet. And it's hard to come by books in their language. If I give them wordless books, there's not the intimidation of the printed words on the page that they don't understand. And I just teach them to, you know, do a story walk through the book and just talk with the child in their language. You know, oh, what do you think is happening on this page? Oh, well, there's a bird. Where's that bird going? You know, and just have a conversation. And so all that same language and connection stuff is happening, even if they can't read. Because people say, well, what about the families who can't read? You can read pictures. Everyone can read pictures and read them in their language. So, I mean, we have come up with a way to empower every parent in whatever situation they're in to have connection and be supporting their child's literacy, whether they themselves can read or not. Wow, I, I'm so impressed, Pam, with your, again, the creativity in, in figuring this out. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely a fairy on a mission. <laughs> so, so tell us the story, by the way. I know you say to not call you the book fairy, but um, tell us the story about when you went to the school and. Uh, uh, yeah, thought you were. So very often when I, back in the day when I could go to schools and I could go to daycares and they would say the book fairies come, they would do a book drive or something. And so I would come and they would present the books to me and, you know, it was a visit and I would read to them. And 
inevitably when the teacher uh, would meet me at the door, they were like, oh, where are your wings? We told the children that the book fairy was coming today and they're going to have wings. And I, I thought, well, oh, I have to have a way to address this. So I said, oh, well, we need to tell the children that I don't get wings until every child on the planet has books. Then I get my wings. Oh. So I think safe for quite a while <laughs> of not needing to show up in wings but uh yeah and I mean children are literal they expect fairies to have wings and so we do a lot of things with wings and I do have some monarch wings that I wear when it's monarch season mm -hmm. and um, so but it, it's just sort of a sweet fun thing and I just thought that was a good explanation that you know you don't earn your wings just like earning your you know eagle scout badge i don't earn my wing badge <laughs> until i child <laughs> their books well so to, let's ask it a hard question uh let's ask about screens and literacy because we know probably it might be that that parents have screens but they may not have books right uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts about that well, <laughs> I mean, it, it was hard enough before COVID that people I know, you know, my grandchildren and their parents, you know, trying to balance screen time. And now that that's their means of schooling, it's like a lost battle, you know, they have to use them. Um, and I mean, some parents are opting out of that and they, they don't want to go that route. So it's, it's about balance, you know. So, I mean, for my grandchildren, they do tons of things on screen, but they have family read aloud hour every night where uh, my son-in-law, he's the family reader and they have a book going that's, you know, of interest to both, to all of them. And I mean, we do a lot with audiobooks in the car as well, but I think it, it, it just has to be about that, that we need both. We really need both. Okay. All right. Um, sorry about that noise <laughs> in my home. It is quarantine time and other people are here. So, all right. Well, I, there are so many other things I, I would like to discuss with you about Book Fairy and Connection Parenting, but I think what I'm going to do is list a lot of the resources right where people are finding this audio um, so that they can see for themselves um, their resources, their materials, so they can get started with this uh, community literacy artistry. Is it artist? Are we being artists, did you say, and not activists? No, both, both. Okay. Activists and artists. And I'll tell you, people in the community have joined me on creating these kits and they're having a ball with it. They love it. You know, they'll find, the, you know, either their children's outgrown gently used pajamas and find a book that has the same, you know, it might be sharks, it you know, might be fairies, it might be unicorns are very popular these days. And, and you know, go to maybe the Dollar Tree and find, you know, a a stuffy that matches and just create these bags and they're just having a ball with it as and as I do too I mean I say to my mom all the time look at this match look at how this raccoon matches this book you know I just get really excited about it sort of my hobby and it has caught on and now people in the community are doing it and it's wonderful so there'll be more more kits for families to have and I mean why just give out pajamas when we can give out a literacy kit that has a toothbrush and a, you know, a book and a toy. And again, the toy is the hook. 
that creates the interest in the book if it's not already there, if they haven't had the privilege, and it is a privilege to have books in their home. You know, we don't want that to be a privilege. We want that to be as necessary as the food on their plate because it's food for their heart and their mind. So we need it to stop being a privilege and it should be considered an, an everyday need that there are books in the home. And that's, that's my goal is that it's, it's, you know, just like food <laughs> that it's necessary. It's not a luxury or a privilege. That it's it is necessary. necessary. Uh, our kindred, our slogan is, you know, we're telling the sharing the new story of uh, childhood, parenthood, and the human family. And we have a glossary on the website because there's so much language that emerges all the time to tell the new story. This is something that's happening organically uh, and is really good um, to know. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, crises happening around us right now, but uh, there's also a lot of new growth and uh, ideas and, and so many people working uh, to make things more holistic, sustainable and peaceful in our culture. So having words to describe this new way of being and perceiving, um, we take that seriously. So I really deeply appreciate your work, Pam, and helping to bring this uh, community literacy artistry not only to Maine, but to all the other uh, people who are following you around the world and following your impulse and becoming book fairies as well. Right, we need a fleet. One book fairy wasn't enough before COVID. I mean, we need a fleet of book fairies in every community. That's what it's gonna take. That's what it's gonna take to change this. And we absolutely have the resources to begin to end illiteracy for free, for free. We have the resources. To it, we need the, the, the people power to do it. Now you've said what you've seen is the books are there. They're just not making it into the hands of children who need them. Exactly. The books are there. They absolutely are there. There is more books out there than you. There are just so many. There are so many books that are available. And it's a matter of somebody caring. I, I call them literacy passionates. You know, if they're as passionate as I am, about the fact that whether or not a child can read is going to affect their whole standard of living, their whole quality of life, and they can give a couple hours a week to make sure this is happening in every community by doing their little part or big part. I mean, for me, it's a big part. It's the joy of my life. I love it every day that I get to do this. And um, I, I find other people going, I want to be the book fairy. I'm like, you do it. <laughs> Please be a book fairy. So it, it's uh, doable. It's so doable. Well, I was going to say, you've been around <clears throat> five years this year. Maybe you've grown some book fairies or will. <laughs> start collecting stories. I, that's a good idea. I should start collecting stories from people who are doing it. Yeah. Oh, I was saying that the children themselves might grow up to become book fairies because they're, they remember uh, right. the importance of the book fairy. So, well, let me tell everyone where to go. Bookfairypantryproject.org is where you can find Pam and the Book Fairy information. You can also go to her connectionparenting.com website um, to find more about her seminal and well-loved classic book by now. And you can find this uh, recording along with a transcript and resources at kindredmedia.org. So thank you so much, Pam. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. <laughs> All right. Take care.